Hello, and welcome to Connected by Life. I am your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ donation and transplantation. Today, we have a very inspiring story. It's part one of two. Our special guest is Mr. Mark Nelson. Mr. Mark is a heart recipient, LOPA volunteer, and a physician assistant at Opelousas General Health System. Mr. Mark, I had a pleasure of meeting you a little less than two years ago. And, you know, in today's episode, I know that our conversation could lead into a number of different ways, but where I'd like to start is the beginning of your journey. So could you share a little bit more about that? My journey started in October of 2020. At that time, I was 63 years old. I am a physician's assistant that's worked in the field of orthopedics. Uh, At that time, it was right around 38 years. I'm coming up on my 40th year this coming September. I'm married to a wonderful wife. It'll be 40 years this coming November. I have three boys, Brad, Lance, and Wesley, full-time orthopedic physician assistant, take call. Weekends that I wasn't on call, I would work at a local urgent care. I made rounds during the week after hours for a rehab specialist four days a week. I was a soccer referee. I like to stay really pretty busy and had a very active life. I was about to say, did you have <laughs> much time at all? <laughs> Make me sound like I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> I'm but... a graduate of the University of Florida, so I live over here with all these LSU fans, and I, I love college football as well. So, you know, I, I, I had a three-ring circus going, and that's just how I loved my life. It was just productive and just active. And and then something paused a little bit, right? Yes, sir. Middle of October is right about the time we start kind of training and getting ready for high school soccer season. I've been a high school soccer official now for 25 years. So I said, well, look, I need to get out the old shoes, dust them off. That particular year, as you remember, that time was COVID. And that fall, they didn't have recreational soccer. All that kind of came to it stop but they were going to have a high school soccer season so i dusted off my shoes i started running when i get home after work and i had my routine mile and a half two mile run i do and man i was just i couldn't make it you know i'd had to stop and walk quite a bit which was unlike you know unusual and i said well i guess i'm just a little bit more out of shape than i thought i was but you know i'll get this back i'll just run a few more days and it'll all come back no problem later that week my youngest son got married in Austin, Texas. So we went over there and did all that you do running around when your kids get married. And that time was also the time when anybody had a wedding or went on vacation. You always hear a week later, up oh, somebody had COVID. Oh no, everyone would be scared. Somebody had COVID. Okay, well, sure enough, that happened. We got back from the uh, wedding. We were keeping their dogs for them. They went on, va- on their honeymoon and sure enough, someone had COVID. Well, I didn't have any symptoms. Everybody was okay. Didn't worry about it until saturday october 24th two weeks later the kids came to get their dogs everything was fine however that night my journey started i woke up in the middle of the night about two o'clock in the morning and i was just short of breath i could not catch my breath and i just i wouldn't have any chest pain i knew i wasn't having a heart attack but i knew i couldn't catch my breath and that kind of upset me and i woke my wife up and said hey I'm going to have to go to the emergency room. I can't catch my breath. Well, I've never been to the hospital. I work at the hospital. I don't belong at the hospital as a patient. I'm a provider. Providers don't get sick. 
you know, we provide. That's interesting, huh? That's interesting how we feel that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're invincible. We, we're on the other side. And so uh, she, of course, kind of was freaking out. And I said, no, I'm fine. And we went to the hospital. And, of course, they did the quick COVID test there in the emergency room, and it was negative. So I'm thinking, hmm. They did a chest X-ray. Heart was a little enlarged. They did a BNP, which is nonspecific test for heart failure, but it was quite elevated. So they did an echo. Now, being an orthopedic physician's assistant, I'm not that schooled in cardiology as much as I am now, unfortunately. But he told me that my ejection fraction was probably around 15, which I knew was supposed to be between 55 and 65. And you had no other cardiac issues prior to all this, correct? Never, never had any cardiac problems. I never smoked, barely drank, wasn't overweight, no high blood pressure, nothing. And so uh, this really kind of startled me. I mean, I, I remember feeling a flush, how your face just gets real hot when he said your, your EF's 15. I'm like... I told him, I said, can we take it again? Can we keep repeating this test till it's the right number, you know? And uh, it didn't happen. So I saw a cardiologist, a really, really great one, Dr. Sibby here in Opelousas. He, oh, first of all, that day in the emergency room, they gave me uh, some Lasix IV, and I was cured. I said, look, I can, I can catch my breath. I'm doing great. I'm ready to go home. You cured me. I'll just take this little fluid pill once in a while, and let's just move on with life. I got a lot of things to do. Well, that wasn't what happened. I saw Dr. Sibby, the cardiologist. He said, you don't look the part. This is probably transient. This doesn't fit you. You may have, I'll put you on some heart failure medicine. Hopefully in, you know, four or five, six months, we'll wean you off that you should be fine. Well, I started on my meds, watched my salt. And in the month of November and December, it kept getting worse. I continued to work full time and I was still driven to not let this happen, but there wasn't a lot I could do. And you know, when you're in the health field and you understand the signs and symptoms of heart failure and you see them happening to you, it's very, very difficult to to watch happen to yourself. You know, as you're describing this, I wanted to ask you, like, what was, you know, what was that mental state? What was that psychology, you know, just in, in how you were feeling, you know, being in the medical field and then it, and then you're a part of things that you see what happens is you're starting to lose control of your independence you're losing control of the steering wheel and you realize this is something that i can't make right and you want to and it continues to happen and you keep i internalize that and and i started losing some of my independence that was difficult it got to the point that that i had to have a pick line and I had to have some medicine pumped that helped my heart pump. I would hide that. I would hide the pump and the pick line wearing a long sleeve shirt, continue to work and just, I don't know how to describe it. I was like ashamed to be sick because I just didn't want to be sick. I didn't want to be a patient. I don't know why, but and I guess it was just denial and it continued to happen. It got to the point when you have a pick line, I can't take a shower now. There's little things in life I appreciate right now. Taking a simple shower is a huge thing to enjoy until you lose that ability. I had to have my wife do help me sponge bathe because you can't get your arm wet where the pick line is. And you have to go, hey, Netta, is this a convenient time? Can you please come help me? And, of course, I was getting weaker. And it was just – that was a really hard thing to do. At night, I would I was treating myself. I had ace bandages. I 
I wrap my feet to my thighs to help keep the edema out, thinking that, you know, that would be my treatment for congestive heart failure. It didn't work. And I started getting my edema. I, I could feel it coming up my leg, up to my hip, up to my greater trochanter. I could have huge pitting edema. And then I started having my abdomen swell with ascites as a secondary problem of CHF. And then I started having upper extremity edema where I would press and have pitting edema on my shoulders. And I'm going, this is, this is overtaking me. And finally, you know, I had all the workup, the stress tests. I had a, a cardiac cath and the people in the uh, cath lab were hoping I had blockage. And I'm like, what? You're hoping I have blockage? Yes, that would be a reason you're having your heart failure. And if we correct the blockage, maybe the heart failure will resolve. Well, I didn't have blockage. All my vessels were open. So you end up with the diagnosis of idiopathic cardiomyopathy, which means your heart's not pumping well, and we don't know why. And again, in the in the field of medicine, we like we like to have a reason, especially in orthopedics. There's a reason for this injury. There's a reason this happened, and it's logical. And now I'm in the world of uh, don't know why this is happening, and we probably will never know. Could have been a virus, they said. Wasn't COVID? I've been tested for that many times, and this was before the the vaccination, so it wasn't because of the vaccine either. Things continued to progress, got worse in early January. I always tell people I heard the words you never want to hear from your doctor, and that is, there's nothing else we can do for you here. I'm going to have to move you to a higher level of care at Oshner in New Orleans. That's when you first heard of transplant. Yeah. And uh, I arrived at Oshner on January 11th, 2021, the night of the LSU Clemson National Championship game, because I was lying in bed my first day there getting a lot of Lasix. And they came in right in the middle of the game and said, all right, we've got to take you to Cat Scan. I said, the game's on. <laughs> and it was like... Over here, we don't stop at Hoshner. Right now, I have time. And that first day I was there, I was starting to be worked up for heart transplant. I didn't understand why they're doing CT of my chest, my abdomen, my pelvis. They're working you up. I mean, they came in my room and they said, hey, Mr. Nelson, we've decided to move you straight to the transplant list. You have a virgin chest. You've never had surgery before. It would be a lot easier for the cardiovascular surgeons. You know, everything's checked out. And... uh my heart was continuing to fail. It was continuing to get worse. They were doing echoes and all kinds of different right-sided heart stuff on me the whole time. And it's like my EF was continuing to get worse and worse. I don't know how low it actually ever got, but it had to be down to 10% probably at this point. And I'm on all these medications to keep my heart going. I had lines in my neck, pick lines in my arm. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, all these machines on me. I get up and walk and it was just, you had to have another person to help push all the machines around. So they told me I was going to be going to ICU, the next big step. You know, that was pretty traumatic as well, but you have no choice. You're not getting well. So you go to ICU. And at that point they had to start putting in pumps and impellers in me to help assist my heart pumping, to keep my kidneys perfused, to keep my liver and all my organs perfused so that they wouldn't go into failure while I was waiting to potentially get a heart. And I mean, this, at this point, I mean, it's, it's the bottom it's, it's, I'm extremely weak. I've lost my, my taste. I've lost my will to eat. I'm losing weight. I've got to make myself drink 
uh, the nutrition stuff to stay active and strong, and it's just tough. I can't get out of bed. It's hard, but let me tell you what. The personnel at Ochsner, coming from a small hospital, I'm going to the big – from a 125-bed hospital to probably over a 1,000-bed hospital. I go, I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to be a number. They're there to get a check and go home. This is going to be horrible because our little small hospital, it's a lot more personable and stuff. That was the biggest fallacy of all of it. They were so good, so personal. I got relationships with the transport people, with the with the guys that would come in and read me their the diet for the next day every day. We would joke and cut up. The ICU nurses were incredible people, some that I'll never forget all my life, and I still stay in touch with some of them. I can't even start to tell you about the doctors and the cardiology fellows. They are super, super human beings and brilliant, brilliant doctors. I could I could spend all day talking about each one of them. They truly are truly are vested individuals and their patients and their families. Oh, they were so good. That I mean, I, I was so amazed at the care and I just enjoyed the relationships, talking to the nurses. You you'd you were in no shape to to barter, but I would go, hey, can we kind of do all the meds at this time instead of the middle of the night? And then I can do this. And oh, yeah, we can do that for you, Mr. Nelson. And so many of them had been trained in Lafayette at at uh, nursing school at UL. So we had some conversations about places to eat in Lafayette. And we, it was so easy to have something to talk about with each of those individuals. And you got close to those. Hey, will you be back tomorrow night? Yes, sir, Mr. Nelson. I'll see you tomorrow night as well. Great. And so kept a, you know, kept my chin up as best I could, but I kept going downhill with my heart. So I'm in ICU. I'm watching, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, watching television, and my heart rate always stayed at 120 with heart failure. It was always tachycardic. And I'm just watching TV, and all of a sudden, all these people come flying in the room. Dr. Davis, who was a cardiology fellow that took a lot of care of me, he comes flying in with all these people, and they're like getting ready to have a code. It's like, you know, we take CPR and, you know, ACLS, you know, at work, and all of a sudden I'm like, look, I'm the little plastic dummy they're about to do something with here, except I'm awake. Like, what's going on? They said, sir, you're an SVT. My heart rate was 180. We've got a cardioversion, and I knew that cardioversion means they shock you. Well, another way they do it, I was happy to see is they chemically induce the heart to reset but they're like getting ready for a code the nurse is holding my hand the guy's asking everybody's got everything they need and they gave me that other drug and my heart slowed back down to 120. well it did that three times that day they had to come back in two more times and this is where the, the tires met the road and the tire tread was gone i was on the highest doses of medication to keep my heart beating strong and the side effect of those meds are arrhythmias and now i'm starting to have these arrhythmias so now they had to put me on some amiodarone which stops arrhythmias so you know you're on one medicine that counteract all the side effects of these other medicines and so you're really running out of cards to play well the doctor came in that monday they always change attendings each monday and they told me that I was scheduled for that LVAD the next day at 11 o'clock. This was Monday morning that I was scheduled for 11 o'clock Tuesday to have an LVAD. Well, I didn't realize that had been the plan the whole time. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, uh, I thought I had a little more time to wait for a heart. You know, I, 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 I want to keep waiting for a heart if possible. 
And they said, well, listen, we can see that, you know, you're not quite ready to have this LVAD. I'll discuss it with the cardiovascular surgeons. And they get back with me the next day. So Tuesday morning, they come in and they said, look, we're not getting a lot of phone calls. Your heart's getting weaker. We've discussed it. We're going to give you four days. And if you haven't gotten a heart in four days, you are going to have to have an LVAD. And if in the interim of the four days, your heart continues to have these arrhythmias, your heart's not going to be strong enough for this four or five hour operation for an LVAD. So you may not even get four days. If it goes down faster, you'll have to have, to have it sooner. Tuesday, February 9th, the doctors came in and uh, they came back to the room at 11 o'clock. And the whole team was with them. They usually make rounds on me in the morning, and they did. They came back that afternoon, at, or they came back in that morning at 11. The time I was supposed to be scheduled to maybe have that LVAD, and they said, Mr. Nelson, we have a heart for you, and it's a perfect match. And those moments of, of extreme joy and happiness and anticipation was just overwhelming, <clears throat> uh, not just for me, but for the nursing staff for my wife, for everybody. And, uh, I, uh, I had, I was prepared for that. And so the next morning at 11 o'clock, February 10th, 2021, I was wheeled to the operating room right around 11 o'clock and had a successful heart transplant done by Dr. Spindell and the incredible crew at Oshner. I woke up the next day in an ICU and did well. I had really no pain post-op. I progressed quickly to the step-down unit, and I was discharged. So it was like 14 days, I think, post-op, I was discharged home. My, my recovery began, and uh, it's a very slow recovery. It took a lot of you know time. I was extremely weak, but uh, everything's gone very well. We're going to pause right here, and I want to thank everyone for listening. I encourage everyone to tune in to the next episode where we hear part two of Mark's transformation and the impact that it had upon his life in our community. You can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And always remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams, and we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.